welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Thank you for the reading. So when you go online, and some of you have already, like, you've lost me, Pastor Mike. If you go, on, if you go online for longer than, like, two minutes, you're, you're going to see interesting headlines on different sites. I try to get you to click on them. The other day, I saw a link to something, and it said, the untold truth of Chipotle. And because I love burritos, I was like, oh, I should probably click on that and find out what the untold truth of Chipotle is. Maybe they have, like, a secret ingredient or a sauce or something. No, it was just, you know, their business practices and how they were founded. I'm like, I know, the, I know all this. And then there's another link. It's like the untold truth of Long John Silver. I'm like, well, I've, I've always wanted to know the untold truth of Long John Silver. I mean, why are their, their planks uh, so delicious? I don't know why. Probably because they're loaded with salt and fried. But, so I clicked on that. And you can see this like for everything, like the untold truth of, you know, your favorite celebrity, you know, and, and all of those, those titles are designed to get you to, to click on it. And you see, you see this all over junk websites like Buzzfeed and, and Mashable and all of these other, other sites. They want you to click on these articles or on these videos and they want you to do that because they're trying to drive, you know, traffic to, to their page. And so they need something to kind of get you there. So in our modern era, we place a premium on the concept of truth. The desire for truth is not limited, though, to our own place and time. When we see Jesus appearing before Pilate, he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. A few, a few passages earlier, then when he appears before Pilate, Jesus says, you speak truly, and Pilate replies with, what is truth? as if truth is abstract and unknowable. The truth was standing right in front of Pilate. And one difference between our era, though, and the ancient world is that in our time, there's no truth apart from what we as individuals determine what is true for ourselves. In a sense, we repeat the sin of our primordial parents by trying to determine truth for ourselves. And as a result, we continue to find ourselves digging deeper into sin and chaos. But the great antidote to chaos is truth, which is why so many people, like these, these websites and, and links, why they claim to speak truth or to give you the secret or the, the real truth of a situation. And just like those websites, many people today believe that the concept of truth is just clickbait because we've deconstructed everything because nothing nowadays can be trusted. What is truth? What's true for you may not be true for me. You hear people use these phrases, well, my truth is this, your truth is that. Speak your truth. So you might be thinking to yourself, okay, what does this have to do with Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh? Jesus said something important to his disciples in the Gospel of John that Sharon just read a few moments ago. He said, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of 
truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus here himself ties in the gift of the coming Holy Spirit with truth, calling him the spirit of truth. He then says that the world can't see or know the spirit, but the disciples do know the spirit, or at least they will know him very soon. So today we're going to look at the sending of the Holy Spirit as related to truth. Now, if I were trying to be clickbaity, I'd title this sermon, The Real Truth About the Holy Spirit, with real truth in capital letters. So when we look at the truth that the Spirit brings, we have to realize that I'm going to go through three. I'm going to talk about greater works. I'm going to talk about bold insight. I'm going to talk about assurance of adoption, right? These three truths that the Spirit uh, signifies. All of these three truths that I'm about to talk to you about are all bound up with the person and work of Jesus Christ, who Christ is, who Christ was while on earth, because he, you know, he's still alive, right? And what Christ came to do and what our task is carrying on the mission that he's given us. So all three of these things are all tied around with Jesus Christ. He is the focus. He is the focal point of where all truth converges so the first truth that the Spirit signifies to us is this truth of greater works. Now, this is one that gets many people nervous. So, of course, we'll start with this one first. So in the reading in John, Jesus said, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to my Father. Now, when I was in the charismatic Pentecostal movement, they loved this verse. They liked to focus on it, and I can't think of anyone at that time that wouldn't have given their right arm to be able to do the works that Jesus did. In our megachurch, we would have traveling evangelists that would come in, and the church would be packed, right? Imagine 7,000, 7,500 people eagerly awaiting an experience of the miraculous. At the time, I was all in. I was one of those people. Until over time, I eventually came to see that the miraculous usually stopped after the first few rows of seats. It's a little cynical, right? But imagine, right? We, we can see the, a couple hundred people in here, right? Maybe 100, 150. But in the big church, the Holy Spirit usually went, okay, row one, row two, row three, row four, row five. It was almost as if it was a barrier, right? So this was maybe the size of a section. So the Holy Spirit would stop maybe like right over here. And he wouldn't go any further during the service. He's like, he just couldn't get past it. I don't know, maybe the building was too big. Maybe I'm just super cynical. But the Holy Spirit seemed kind of limited in that space. No one in the nosebleeds ever got a prophetic word or a miraculous intervention. The problem is, brothers and sisters, is that this truth of greater works has been, I think, misapplied. It's been applied to gathered groups of Christians, and I don't think that this is so. Because when we see the miraculous in the New Testament post-resurrection, it's usually happening outside the context of a church service. It's not happening when they're gathered together to hear the word of God and to gather before the Lord's table to partake of the cup of Christ and, 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 the, and, and, the, uh, and the feast that they would have. That was not the area of these greater works. These, these greater works were happening outside of the service. 
Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there have been people who are so distrustful of anything miraculous because it doesn't completely fit into a theological box. They deny, then, that those expressions of greater works exist. And they limit the work of the miraculous just to winning souls. Because what's better, saving a person's soul or healing their foot? But the book of Acts is filled with greater works that Jesus spoke of. But part of what makes these works greater is not that they were more powerful than the works that Jesus did, but rather instead of one person traveling and ministering, there are now many. So this idea of greater works is tied in with the mission of the church, right? Reaching the unreached. But greater works, however, are not just the miracles, and it's not just people coming into the kingdom. St. John Chrysostom once said, feeding the hungry is a greater miracle than raising the dead. And so all of these things, they, they all work together. You, it's not exclusionary. It can't be one or the other. We can have the miraculous and the wonderful move of the Spirit, but that also, we also need to do the work that Jesus called the church to do, which isn't just a message of proclamation. It's also a message of care. Chrysostom also notes that all of the miraculous works we see in Scripture occur because Christ did them first. They testify to Christ. The second truth we'll talk about today is the truth of bold insight. So in the story of the day of Pentecost, there are numerous Jews from across the Roman Empire who had gathered in Jerusalem. And the disciples and those gathered in the upper room, they have this incredible experience of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit descends like fire on them and they begin to speak in languages they do not understand. And so these foreign Jews heard them and didn't know what to make of it and kind of makes fun of them. And St. Peter stands up and he gives his first sermon. And if you heard what usually came out of St. Peter's mouth in the Gospels, you'd probably have been surprised. Because you have Peter and the things that he said, the dumb things that he said, the well-meaning but stupid things he said in the Gospels. This is something completely different. He easily cites the prophet Joel and Joel's words about the coming of the Holy Spirit just come forth. And notice that like the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit is referred to in the Old Testament. It's not just an event that happens randomly, but something that God had been preparing his people to expect. And this is the significance of the experience of fire. There's a commentator named Wall. He notes that the fire was used in literature of the time to indicate prophetic inspiration or insight. He writes, Luke's symbolism of the fiery presence not only signifies the power to speak the word of God effectively, but also to think about God in fresh and inspired ways. And this is reflected in Peter, what happens with Peter, who not only preaches with an insight he never had before, but also with a boldness he did not have before. Think about it, right? The man who had previously denied his Lord, hey, you're with Jesus. No, I'm not. No, seriously, I saw you with him. You're one of his followers. No, I'm not. I don't even know who that is. No, really, you're that guy. You like went with them. And... No, I don't. I, I do not know the man. And it says that he cursed and swore, which I'm not going to do because we're in church. You go from that to, <laughs> hey, guys, we're not drunk. What's happening right here has been foretold in our scriptures. In the last days, the Lord will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, and he preaches. There's a marked difference here. 
This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit, and we see this continuing through the book of Acts. When the council is called in Jerusalem to deal with the controversial issues of Gentiles in the church, they discuss, they debate, and then they decide with St. James saying, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And he lays out where the Spirit guided them. We also see this at the trial of St. Stephen, who had his trial, went through Israel's history, laid out for them the religious leaders, laid out for them how Jesus was foretold. And he even boldly denounced them for their culpability in his death, which leads to his own death as the first martyr. Which should make us think of what we heard in the reading from St. Paul today. He said, if we want to be glorified with him, we shall have to suffer with him. And then the third truth that the Holy Spirit brings is that he assures adoption. The Holy Spirit assures us that we are God's children. In Romans chapter 8, St. Paul says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery, which leads you to fear. So it should make us think of fear of what? It could be fear of the law. It could be fear of the law's demands. But I think it has more to do with what St. Paul said earlier in Romans 8, when he refers to those who have Christ in them, that even though their bodies are subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life and will give life to our bodies. And he goes on to say that the Spirit is the one who enables us to put to death the deeds of the body. St. Chrysostom notes again, for the advantage of the Spirit is not this only, that he set us free from our former sins, but he renders us impregnable against future ones and counts us worthy of the immortal life. I love that. He renders us impregnable. There's times we don't feel like we're impregnable. Sometimes it feels like the castle gates of our hearts are wide open for anything and anyone to come in and take us over. But the Spirit renders us, he says, impregnable. This shows us that we are truly the sons and daughters of God if we are led by the Spirit to put those deeds of the flesh to death, the deeds of sin and wickedness. And instead of a spirit of slavery, we have been given the spirit of adoption. I have a family member who was adopted. When they were adopted, they took, obviously, the last name of the person who adopted them. I have several family members, actually, who were adopted. My own father was adopted, which is why my last name now is Landsman and not Fish. I'm very grateful for that. But when my family members, when they were adopted, they took the last name of the person who adopted them, identifying that even though they were not biologically their child, they are still that person's child due to the fact that they were raised and loved and treated as if they were their biological child. And brothers and sisters, this is a picture of our own status as God's children. Every human person is in some sense a child of God due to their being made in the image of God. But only those of us who are in Christ can claim to be God's children because we have been adopted into God's family through the baptism and the reception of the Holy Spirit, which makes us not only a child, but a child that will receive the blessing of an inheritance. We are heirs. The adoption that we experience is so total that we can, even as adopted children, call God our Father. God is actually and truly our Father in a way, in a more complete way than any of our natural or biological fathers ever could be. And that should give us hope, brothers and sisters, because some of us had bad fathers. Some of you had really bad fathers. But God, as our Father, shows us 
what a true father is, how a true father should love. The Spirit then bears witness within us that we truly belong to God. And if we belong to him, then we are heirs with Christ, heirs of the resurrection and heirs of union with God. And this is all a good gift of God's grace. But then St. Paul says something I don't remember ever hearing preached. He says, provided that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus suffered not just on the cross, but also in his life. He was rejected by his own people. He was told he was of the devil. People didn't believe in him. They were plotting against him to murder him. We are to share in Christ's sufferings because the path to resurrection lies in our lives mirroring and being patterned by Jesus. And we think that we can bypass the cross, but we can't. But the Spirit bearing witness is surety for us that we are truly God's, that he loves us and has beautiful things in store for us, even in the midst of our suffering. Chrysostom says, but when the Spirit bears witness, what farther place for doubtfulness? In other words, why do we have reason to doubt? For if it were a man or an angel or an archangel or any other such power that promised this, then there might be a reason in doubting. But when it is that the highest essence that bestows this gift and bears witness by the words he asks us to use in prayer, who would doubt any more of our dignity? This means, brothers and sisters, that the truths the Spirit highlights come from him and are given to us. We may not raise the dead like the apostles, but we can share food with the hungry. We may not be able to cure with a word, but we can still pray and hope God will intervene. We may not have the best education, but God will still give us insight into Scripture, as well as giving us the boldness to share the good news. And like I said, you may have had a terrible father, but God has adopted you and longs to replace that broken picture of fatherhood with the true picture of fatherhood by making you his true child. And if we're not experiencing this in our lives, brothers and sisters, maybe it's time to start asking ourselves why, as well as asking God to enable us and to show us opportunities to spread the gift that we have been given by the Holy Spirit of truth, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd ask that you would consider helping to meet a major need that we have. Our building is in current need of some necessary repairs, so we've set up a GoFundMe, gofundme.com slash savezionstone. Ask that you would please consider donating there, or if you'd like, you could also mail us something directly. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com, or you can find me on the church's Facebook page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, as well as our website. This podcast is available on iTunes as well as Spotify. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you.